Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to be with you. Uh, it's odd preaching to an empty room, to a camera. Miss you. Miss seeing your faces, shaking hands, hugging necks. But I'm really thankful for the opportunity to preach and uh, to wrap up this series in Proverbs. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at uh, what is integrity according to the book of Proverbs. Um, <clears throat> and we've spent the last 17 weeks, really 19 weeks, uh, with a couple of weeks omitted there with Easter and then something else. But during this season, uh, we've, we've wanted to really see and, and anchor ourselves to what, what does the Bible say about wisdom, especially in the book of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs points us to a person. It points us to someone. Uh, it's not this abstract idea, um, but it is a, it's actually a, a person in uh, the person of Jesus Christ. We have someone to cling to, someone to follow after. Uh, the Proverbs are meant to help us live well in God's world, to be skilled at living. Uh, if you would look at Proverbs chapter 22, verse 12, just that first part there says, the eyes of the Lord keep watch over knowledge. Uh, what does that mean? It means that God not only knows all things, but that he owns all the knowledge to be known. Uh, that is a profound thought to think about God, that he not only governs all things, knows all things, but he owns all the knowledge to be known. So as we look at integrity, integrity is something that we need to possess as far as wisdom goes when we look at the way we handle our money, the way we parent our children, the way uh, we have friendships, the, the way we work and all these things that, that we've looked at the last 17 weeks. We need God's wisdom to help us have all the integrity that we need in life to manage these things well in God's world. So over the last, um, I don't know how many weeks it's been, honestly, now that we've been in quarantine and, and social distancing, uh, I've spent my fair amount on social media. And if you've spent any time on social media, you've seen uh, these challenges that take place. There's different dances that people do. Uh, there's different trick shots, all kinds of things. Uh, there was one I was watching where a dad, it looks like a dad, has all of his cupboards open in his kitchen, and he closes all of them. Uh, as and It goes along with a uh, Phil Collins song as he does this drum beat. Uh, it just looked pretty neat. But one that stuck out to me, uh, it's called the Toddler Candy Challenge. <clears throat> now, this is what I'm going to try to explain this very quickly. The toddler candy challenge, excuse me, is uh, you get a toddler and uh, you, you sit his favorite candy, his or her favorite candy out in front of him, and then you say, you can have this candy, but I need to go to the restroom or I need to leave the room for a minute and you can have this candy when I get back. And what happens in these next few seconds is the videos that, that I watched are pretty funny. Uh, the, the toddlers touch the candy, some of them sniff them, some of them lick the candy, some of them even end up eating it. Parents come back into the room, and the, the toddlers are they're excited about eating this candy. Now, we can't expect a toddler to have the kind of integrity that we're going to talk about this morning. They haven't uh, grown up that much. Uh, they haven't been taught really yet. They don't have that kind of knowledge. Uh, but for some of us, this feels very real. It feels like this is the way we view God. We see God that He is looming over our shoulder or that He is sitting in a corner waiting to catch us and slap our hand away when we reach out to get what's in front of us. Uh, 
If you look at Proverbs chapter 15, Proverbs 15, verse 3, it says this. It says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Now, there's this phrase used back in the 15th and the 16th century, uh, and this phrase is quorum Deo, living before the face of God, is knowing that God sees all things, not only that he governs all things, but that he sees all things. Uh, And that, for some of us, it can be a very terrifying thought to, to think that I can't hide from God. But really, it's, it's meant for, for our good and for God's glory and the fact that he's not waiting around the corner to punish us uh, or, or anything like that to, to jump out and scare us and catch us. But he's, it's, it's, it's this view of that I can be honest, I can be transparent before God because he already knows all things. He already sees all things. And I want to live a life of holiness before him. Flip over, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 16. Verse 6 says this. It says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Now, what is the steadfast love of the Lord? What is the faithfulness of God that this verse is talking about? There's this phrase that we see in this verse, this, uh, the fear of the Lord, this right view of God of seeing him as holy, seeing him as he sees all things, that he governs all things, that my life is in his hands. But the steadfast love and the faithfulness of Christ, that is what pays for my sin, for the iniquity that's deep down inside of me, that I only want things that are opposite of God before he opens my eyes, opens my, my heart, uh, gives me a new birth. Uh, th- this is the steadfast love and the faithfulness that Christ uh, portrayed in his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection. We need this. This is the good news of the gospel. Uh, This is very good news for you this morning. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear this, that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. Now I want to take a minute and try my best to define integrity and what it looks like scripturally. Uh, but when I say the word integrity, what, what does it paint a picture for in your mind? Does it paint a picture of a person for you? Uh, maybe it's a pastor, the way he handles his money, the way he handles his family, the way he is when he's alone. Uh, maybe it's a parent. Maybe your mom or your dad had great integrity, uh, and you knew that you could follow after their example. This is kind of funny. I almost admitted, I omitted this out of my notes but maybe it's a politician. Um, maybe it's a politician that, that you see in your mind uh, when you think about someone who has integrity. But if we looked at integrity in the, in the original language, in a verse that we're going to look at in just a second, here's what integrity suggests in the original language. It suggests a completeness or a wholeness or a fullness it is this, be, this idea of being held by God. It is a moment by moment saying yes to God in complete trust that he knows what's best for my life, for my relationships, and for my future. In Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs 10 verse 9, it says this. It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Now, the first part of that verse is 
is this picture of being held, this completeness or this wholeness. This is what the word integrity is suggesting for us in the original language, that we, are, that we walk securely before God. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, I'm going to look at three verses here, verses 25 through 27. It says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left and turn your foot away from evil. I want to look at quick th- three quick things here in these three verses. The first thing is in verse 25, it's this fixing our eyes on God, fixing our eyes on Jesus, looking straight at him and saying, I don't want to take my eyes off of you because you are the one who has the perfect plan for my life. And then to ponder, to stop and to think before I make any decisions, to stop and to think as I have my eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of my life, uh, to, to, to stop and think, is this a wise choice for me to make? And if I do get off the path, that I can repent quickly and fix my eyes on him again, knowing that he doesn't condemn me. I want to show you a, a picture. It's going to appear magically on your screen. This is a picture of the Burj Khalifa. I believe I'm saying it right. And this is the tallest building in the world. It, it's in Dubai, and it rises more than 2,700 feet over half a mile tall. It has 160 floors and is twice as tall as the Empire State Building in New York City. Now, the secret to the stability of this building is, is underneath it, is, is in the foundation of this building. You see, before construction began, uh, the construction crews spent a solid year digging and pouring the massive foundation that supports the building. The foundation contains some 58,900 cubic yards of concrete weighing more than 110,000 tons. The building is safe because the foundation is solid. As we think about this picture, uh, this, this building that we see in Dubai, I want to look at Proverbs 24, verse 3. It says, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Now there's this picture of that, that as God grows us and he, he makes us more into the stature of Jesus Christ as he sanctifies us, takes us through the process by the Spirit, we need a firm foundation underneath our feet like it, like it describes for us here in Proverbs 24.3. We need to be built on wisdom. We need to be built on the Word of God. But why do we need to be built on the Word of God? Why do we need to have a firm foundation underneath our feet? I'll tell you that we will be faced with temptation in this life. We will face real temptation in this life. Flip over a page there in Proverbs chapter 23. I'm going to look at three verses there as well. 23, starting in verse 1, it says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, three things I want to point out here, too, is these verses are saying, hey, observe, take a minute, and and to ponder what's out in front of you. 
and take the temptation to sin so seriously. And the imagery that that it uses here is is to put a knife up to your throat and, and to not give in to the temptation to sin, this thing that is out in front of us, to take it so seriously that we would put a knife up to our throat so that we could say no to these things. You see, the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy and ruin our lives. But I want to ask you the question, what does temptation look like? We could name a few off the top of our heads. But for, for us, temptation might look like maybe being alone with the internet when we know it's been an issue in our lives before. Maybe it's staring too long in the mirror and realizing that we have this deep insecurity deep down inside of us and we feel it rising. Maybe that's what the temptation is for you. Or maybe it's this fantasy life that you have in your head as you scroll through social media. You want your family to look like this family. You want your spouse to act like this spouse. You want your kids to act like these kids. Maybe that's the temptation for you. If we went all the way back to the story in Genesis that we see, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates a very good world, and he puts man and woman in this world to steward it well. And then everything falls apart in chapter 3. And we see the serpent come in and deceive man and woman with a suggestion. All he does is suggest to them, is God really that good? It's, it's, it, maybe he's trying to keep something from you. All he does is present them with a suggestion. It's the temptation that lies before them. And then we read the rest of the story in Genesis chapter 3, and they obviously give in to the temptation. And there is where our world is broken. Our relationship with God is broken. You see, the root of that temptation is that God is really not all satisfying, that he's really not who he says he is. But I want to tell you this morning that you can say no to sin. You can say no to sin. And that if we take these temptations seriously, that we can say no to what is out in front of us. And this is what I want to help you. I want to give you this foundation underneath your feet. If we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We need the Spirit's help to say no to temptation. Flip over, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse 3 says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. The integrity, this idea of being held, this completeness, this is what guides the believer, those who are held by God. Think about this building that we saw a picture of, this foundation that is underneath. It is secure because of how deep this foundation goes. We cannot defeat temptation on our own. We see the life of Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is presented with these, these suggestions from the enemy himself. And every response from Jesus is, it is written or it, is, it says in God's word. And then we see that the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 of Hebrews 
that he is our great high priest, that he sympathizes with us, that he was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. So we can only say no to sin because Jesus said no to sin for us, that he is perfect. He is the one who guides us. Now, I want to tell you, I need to be honest with you, I have given into temptation before. And you might be saying, Ricky, I, I gave into temptation this morning. At the beginning of Romans chapter 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Father sees you as he sees his Son, perfect in every way. I want to look at Proverbs chapter 28, verse 6. It says this, it says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. This simply means that better is someone who can say that they've sinned. They can, they can say, hey, I was wrong. I, I humble myself. I'm wrong here. It is, it's best just to, to come out and say, hey, I, I, I'm struggling here. These temptations are real for me. This is why community is so important. This is why we push so often at Redeemer Pampa, get into a gospel community. Because accountability is key. If anything, this sermon is a plug for that. Get into a gospel community so that we can come alongside you and not judge you and not talk behind your back to come around you and to help you. Now, if we look at the text and we look at Proverbs in these few verses, we look at what integrity looks like. The text is trying to get our attention. It's waving this flag for us. In, in chapter 3, verse 6, in chapter 4, verse 26, 28, 6, in chapter 18, it's using this language about this path that is set before us. Now, I need to tell you this, that you and I have a very real responsibility to make wise choices. God sees all. He governs all. He knows all things, owns all the knowledge to be known. But we have a very real responsibility to make wise choices. In Proverbs chapter 16, there's a couple verses there in verse 1 and verse 9. It says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And in verse 9 it says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now, this is the idea that, that God is sovereign over all things, that we might make plans in our mind and in our heart, but God is really the one who rolls them out. I want to look to the New Testament very quickly in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James speaks very clearly here that we can make all the plans we want, but it's really up to God what happens. That the fool says, hey, I'm just going gonna, gonna to dive headlong into this and, and I'm just going to hope it works out. But the wise man says, the one who's skilled at living says, I'm going to stop and think. And I'm going to rem remember that God is in control here. And I'm going to trust him with the results. Proverbs 17, verse 24 says, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Now this is what this is saying here. 
is that those who are skilled at living, those who have given, given themselves to wisdom, they fix their eyes on Jesus. They fix their eyes on their creator. And the fool sets his eyes on the things that are created. This is an important thing to think about as we think about integrity. To fear the Lord, knowing his plans are best, making wise choices, trusting that we are held And the results are all in his hands. So really what we're talking about this morning is holiness. We're we're, we're looking at what does it mean to live a life of holiness. Now I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say this phrase and I want to take some time to explain it. Uh, This phrase that, that I came up with is our obedience informs our integrity and produces our holiness. I'm going to read that one more time. Our obedience informs our integrity and produces our holiness. Now, at first glance, this could, this could be, or be read or interpreted like, hey, Ricky, you, you often talk about the gospel and that we can't do anything apart from Christ or do anything to gain God's approval. That's right. And that's not what I'm saying here. Our desire at Redeemer Pampa and at future Redeemer Borger is to make disciples that glorify God and simply that reproduce, is to live a life of obedience and continue to make disciples. It is to to simply live in obedience and to love one another well. So this is less about being good in secret so that I can get something from God, but it's about being obedient for my joy because Jesus is truly my treasure. I'm going to say that one more time, that we don't live this life, a a life of integrity in secret so that we can get the payoff in the end, but because we know that Jesus is the true payoff in the end. That's why I live a life of obedience, of thankfulness to God. So there's not some extra measure of grace or some secret formula that we're trying to figure out here. It is simply a life of obedience because we are thankful to God because he has given us life. Now, if we look one more time at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, just at that first part, it says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely. So this means that walking in your union with Christ means walking in wisdom, that we know that we're united to him, we know that we're held by him for eternity, so now we can walk and wisdom. As we end our time this morning, I want, I want to remind us what it is to have a right view of God. And that having a right view of God, having this fear of the Lord, is what gives us wisdom for, for daily living. It's, it's the insight that we need for moment to moment saying yes to God. This is the deepest meaning of integrity is trusting that God sees all things, he knows all things, and that his plans are best for my life. I want to go back to the New Testament for just a second. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation... He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
This is really good news, not only for the Corinthian church, but it's really good news for us that because Jesus was tempted in every way, now we can say no to those temptations because Jesus said no, because he is the firm foundation underneath our feet because we are united to him as believers. Church, I need to tell you that God is about your holiness, not your happiness. He is about your holiness, not your happiness. And now this is not this picture of this God who sits in the heavens with his arms folded and doesn't want to have any fun. He is more about your holiness than your happiness. My dad said in a sermon at one point, I remember him saying this very clearly, and he told me this personally. He said, where you starve sin, their holiness will take up residence. Now, what does this mean? It means that when I starve sin, when I don't feed the sin that I have in my life, that it will die in my life. If I feed it, then it will grow. But if I starve it with my affinity for God's word, for God's people, for for the love that I have for Jesus, because I know that he loved me first, sin will die in my life and holiness will take up residence in my heart. I want to look at one more verse in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 6. It says this, Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Now I'm going to ask you a trick question. And my question is, who of us is blameless? None of us. But if you are in Christ, you are now blameless before the Father. So it is the right standing of Christ that we have because of what he did with his life, with his death, with his burial, with his resurrection, with his ascension, that now we are blameless before the Father. It's not anything that we do. We cannot produce that on our own. It is only Christ that produces that for us by his perfect life and his death, his resurrection. None but Christ are blameless. We need his righteousness to guide us in all of life. So you might be asking, Ricky, okay, I need something to do. I need something tangible to walk away with. So I want to give you three things. Number one is to get honest about your temptations, to get honest with them. Maybe you need to get uh, another person around you and say, hey, I want, to, I want to tell you about some things that I've been struggling with. And I want to be able to text you and have honest conversations with you about some of the temptations in my life. So that would be number one, to get honest about your temptations. Number two is to get serious about your disciplines, about reading God's word, spending time in prayer, is gathering with God's people. Those are some serious disciplines that we can have in our lives to starve sin so that holiness will take up residence in our hearts and in our minds. And the last thing is, of course I'm going to say it, to get into community, to live your life open, to be an open book for people to say, hey, these are my struggles. These are the temptations that I'm faced with daily. And I need your prayers. I need your, your probing questions. I need whatever it is to help me in this life as I serve Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how you might have found your way onto this video. You might be watching it weeks after it launches. But I want to tell you this, that we love you here at Redeemer Pampa. We might not know you. We might have never, never shook your hand. 
uh, never met you, but I'm hoping that you watch this video and that you see something struck your curiosity as you continue to watch this video. And I want to tell you, this is a church who loves you. Even though we don't know you, we want to get to know you. You can find us online on Facebook. You can find us on our website, Redeemer Pampa. Just Google that. You'll find us. And there are people here that love you, that want to come around you, that want to help you as you, as you walk throughout this life. But I need to tell you this, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. And that God sent His Son in our place to live the life you and I couldn't live to die the death you and I deserve to die, rightfully so, because God is holy. And he descended into the grave for three days, and after three days, by the power of the Spirit, resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father in the place of honor. So I need to tell you that good news this morning. That good news is for you, and I'm hoping that by the power of the Spirit, he draws you to the Son. We would love to hear from you if that's your story this morning. Let's take a minute and let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to come and to preach. God, and it's so odd to preach to an empty room, to a camera, but I know that you're going to use it for your glory and for our good. God, I miss the people of Redeemer Pampa. I miss seeing their faces. I miss shaking hands. I miss hugging necks. And I so look forward to the day when we get to do that again soon. But God, I ask that this word would convict that it would help conform us to the image of Christ. God, we want to act in wisdom. We want to stop and think and ponder and act like your children. And that when we do give in to temptation, that we can quickly repent from those things and look to you. God, give us a hunger for your word. Give us a hunger for community. Give us a hunger to live a life of obedience, not so we can get your stuff, but because we get you, that's truly what we want. So God, do what you want with this message, I ask. And again, I thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.